you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Oopsies. Open, if you would, in your Bible uh, to Matthew 6. I think that's right. Anyway. Matthew 6. And we're starting in verse 5. Yeah, Matthew 6, verse 5. There's that. Oh, here it is. Falling apart today. <clears throat> so uh, when I was uh, growing up, and, and I think for uh, many of you as well, perhaps, um, the question that people used to like to ask uh, when I was going to youth camps or retreats or, or uh, church stuff was uh, whether or not you had a uh, relationship with Jesus. Has anybody ever been asked that question before? <laughs> yeah, probably. I hope so. I hope so. I think it's a, a really important question. It's a really good question. It's a really good way uh, to think about uh, faith. Um, <clears throat> and what they meant when they asked that question was, you know, do you do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? But usually what they would say is, do you have a relationship with Jesus or perhaps, uh, maybe you've heard this one before too, a personal relationship with, with Jesus? Um, and I always thought that was funny. You know, for a long time, I never thought about it. Um, but, but I started to think it's kind of funny because I don't know about you, but I've got all kinds of relationships with all kinds of different people. You know, I've got uh, a relationship. When I was growing up, I had relationships with my teachers um, some of them were good relationships, I'm sure. Um, many of them were not, <laughs> but I did always have a relationship with them, right? Um, and, and the question that always has, had bothered me, and it still bothers me a little bit with that question, is, you know, um, everybody has a relationship uh, with God of, of some kind. Um, you know, you can know um, your parents. Um, you know, when I went off to college, I still had a relationship with my parents, but in my first year of college, I, like, never, ever called them, ever. I still had, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. All the, all the moms <laughs> and dads are like, you were that kid. That was me. I remember, I have vivid memories of my phone ringing and it being my parents, and I was in the middle of, you know, I was always in the middle of something, and just, I'll definitely call them back later. <laughs> yeah, so, and they... Uh, we've since healed that relationship, but we had a relationship. It wasn't much of one. Um, their relationship was marked by worrying if I was okay, and mine was, oh gosh, guys, why can't you leave me alone? I'm trying to live my life, you know. Um, and, and so the question uh, to me isn't so much whether or not we have a relationship with, with God or with Jesus or whether that relationship is, is like personal or not, as important as that question is, and as useful as it's been in the past, um, the, the question that I want to know is, like, what, what relationship do we have with God? What relationship should we have with, with Jesus? You know, is he supposed to be, like, you know, often 
You know, is God supposed to be kind of like, like pilot, like co- our co-pilot, right? Is that supposed to be our relationship with God? You know, I'm, I'm flying the plane, but if I have a problem, I'll call on you. God can take over in the moment. Kind of the, um, uh, one of the first talks I ever gave was about that song, Jesus Take the Wheel. You know, is that what our relationship with God is like? Do we have a, have a, have a Jesus Take the Wheel relationship where, you know, I'm going to drive the car, I'm going to do the things that I need to do, I'm going to pursue my dreams or do the things that, that I think are important and get the things that I think I want, but man, when the, I, when the car hits the patch of ice, thank God's there, Jesus Take, take the Wheel. Um, you know, or, or maybe um, your relationship with God... Um, where, you know, is, is sort of kind of mostly guilt-based, where you're like, okay, like, I know God loves me, and it's important, and God's in charge of the world, and I've got to make sure that I do things to keep him more or less happy with me so that I can keep uh, living my life. And so your relationship with God looks like, you know, I do some things, I go to church, or maybe you kind of avoid all that stuff because it makes you feel like you're maybe not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, what kind of relationship uh, is Jesus inviting us into? And one of the things that we're going to do over these next few weeks is we're talking about what it means to pray. You know, prayer is how, is, is how we talk to God. That's our conversation uh, situation. And I think the prayer that Jesus gives us in Matthew uh, 6, uh, verse 5 through 8, um, is, is intentionally designed and, and repeated and carried for us so that we might have an idea of what maybe Jesus has in mind when he thinks about what our relationship to God should be, or what it can be, you know, maybe to use a more positive word, what it, what it could be if we uh, are willing to embrace what, what Jesus had to offer. So, so we're going to be looking at Matthew uh, 6, I know I've said that about a thousand times, uh, verse 5, and this uh, prayer comes right in the middle of Jesus' biggest block of teaching in Matthew, and what he's doing in Matthew uh, maybe you've heard it called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but what he does in this, in this sermon is he's trying to explain to everyone who's following him that um, something is happening in their lifetimes, in their day, that is totally transforming uh, the way they ought to relate to other people, the way they ought to relate to God, the way, and, and the way that they ought to understand the world. And so right smack dab in the middle of this uh, transformation, this sermon um, that Jesus preaches to, to talk about a, a different kind of world, a different, uh, you know, uh, the Bible sometimes calls it like the kingdom of God. What does it mean to live like God's kingdom is already on earth? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God that is, is arriving? So Jesus is inviting people to live in this new kind of world right in the middle of the old one. You know, he's asking people to do things that don't make sense unless you really believe that God reigns and, and rules because of what Jesus does on earth and eventually on the cross. And so right in the middle of that, Jesus says, okay, so um, I see how you guys are praying. Let me give you um, a way to pray like, like you believe in me, like God's kingdom is real, a way to relate to me. <clears throat> and so uh, he's, he's inviting people into this new kind of world to live a, like a heaven life on earth and so it starts in verse, verse 5. Uh, Jesus starts with, um, this is a classic teacher, he starts with like, like if you ever like messed up, you know, the teacher says, okay, this is what I see you're doing. <laughs> and, and I understand that, but let me tell you what maybe where that falls short. He starts with what he sees uh, in Matthew uh, 6, verse 5. Uh, Jesus says, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. 
And, and we love the word hypocrite today. Uh, in, in our modern understanding of the word hypocrite, uh, hypocrite means when someone I don't like does something that one time they said you shouldn't do, right? Uh, that's not what Jesus means. Uh, Jesus, uh, the closest translation is actually the word actor. Um, it's, a, it's somebody who's, who's putting, on a, putting on a show. So Jesus says, uh, don't be like the, the play actors. Don't be like the actors. Don't be the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Don't be like an actor because an actor is performing for a crowd, right? Uh, Jesus says, truly I tell you, they, the the actors, the, the hypocrites or whatever, they have received their reward, right? They stood on the stage and, and, and prayed and everybody saw how like spiritual they were and stuff. And that, that's it. They've received their reward. He also talks about this with other kinds of spiritual practice. Um, Jesus says, truly I tell you, they've received their reward. But whenever you pray, he's talking to anyone who might follow him, his disciples, um, Whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you, right? So, so Jesus says, actors, hypocrites, they pray like this for other people to see. What does that tell us about their relationship with God? What's their relationship with God about? If your spiritual life and and all of us, uh, I think, have temptation to live our spiritual lives for the audience of others. What does it say about how we think about God if our spiritual life is, is mostly performative? Well, uh, you know, maybe you're presuming that you've got a solid relationship with God, and so you're trying to get a little bit more. Um, but more than anything else, right, who's the prayer about? It's, about? it's about me. It's about you guys. It's about them, the people that are watching. Um, he continues, so there's one side, there's actors, uh, hypocrites on this side, and on the other side, uh, Jesus is going to talk about Gentiles, and I want to broaden this out a little bit, you know, when, when we hear Gentiles, like the typical uh, understanding of this is, is someone who's not Jewish, and, and I think Jesus is, is leaning even heavily, more heavily onto this, that, you know, the Gentiles are people that don't, if a Jewish person knows God, you know, the Pharisees know God, a, a Gentile doesn't really know God. So, so Jesus moves on. He says, here's how I see people that don't really know God well praying. He says, when you're praying, verse 7, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, uh, the people that are ignorant of God, uh, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Jesus says, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Uh, so two kinds of people. There's actors that pray for the crowd, um, and there's Gentiles, um, people that don't know God, that don't uh, feel like they have a relationship with God, or at least not much of one. God's really far away. Gentiles, uh, the ignorant, the strangers to God, they pray like this. They, they say lots of words. They do things to try and get God's attention. So where the Pharisees, uh, they're trying to get the attention of the crowd, the Gentiles, um, and, and you almost like, you, you almost want to feel for them in this story, right? They're desperately trying to get God to hear them. And so they're trying, uh, in, in Jesus' day, the Gentiles, they prayed beautiful prayers. They repeated things. They, they said things again and again. And so we've got two kinds of people that pray, according to Jesus, uh, in his day. One presumes on their closeness of God, with God, and uses that closeness to elevate their status. That's the actor's. 
Um, actors show off their relationship with God in order to get something from people. People to appreciate me, to honor me, maybe to give them money or prominence. They pray for, for the likes, you know, <laughs> like, come on, can I get an amen? If, if Can just one person share this Facebook prayer and then you'll really believe in Jesus. Actors, they, they use their relationship with God to get something from people, Jesus says. And the other, uh, the other kind of person, they, they relate to God like I might relate to like a customer service line. Like, you know you've got a problem that needs solving, and you know you're going to have to call again and again and again and again if you want resolution. You know, please, operator, can I talk to a real person? This is what the Gentiles pray like, you know. Um, Maybe, hopefully, then the manager, and then maybe, you know, your broken TV can get fixed, you know, if, if, you, if you pray hard enough. Sometimes we find ourselves praying, uh, trying to say the right thing. If I just use the right words in the right phrase, if I, if I make the right promises, if I beg God hard enough, if I repeat this phrase over and over again, maybe if I just nag God enough, he'll hear me. Uh, the Gentiles, the ignorant that Jesus talks about, they, they pray like God doesn't care about them, right? I mean, how, what else is that? They pray like either God doesn't have the ability or desire to hear them, like God's attention has to be got so that they can get the help that they need. They believe that God can only be reached, and when we pray like this, it shows what our relationship with God is like, right? That we think we can only get God's attention if we just nag and nag and nag and wear him down, and then maybe someday he'll take the trash out. Uh, they pray for help like God must be convinced to care about us. But, but Jesus, um, Jesus says no. He says, don't be an actor. Don't be ignorant. He says, prayer is not about making your faith known to others, and it's not about making sure God knows your needs. He says it's, it's, about, um, it's not about making your faith known to others, and it's not about making sure God knows your needs. God knows what you need. So, so the question is, what is it? Jesus, thank you. Uh, we'll try to, try to be better or, or whatever. Uh, well, well, Jesus helps them out too, and he helps us out. He gives them an example, an option, a, a prayer um, that helps them rethink how they might pray in this new world brought about by Jesus' presence. He invites his disciples to, to rethink how they pray and, and therefore rethink how they connect to God. In that prayer, uh, we pray it sometimes here at church. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And Christians uh, throughout all of uh, church history uh, have prayed this prayer or one like it, um, which, is, which is pretty cool. It's actually interesting. One of the oldest um, Christian discipleship books, a book called the, the Didache, that's kind of came out after the Bible. This is like, like Christians trying to think about how to live a Christian life. One of the oldest Christian discipleship books um, asks Christians says to, follow, to follow Jesus in this, you know, the, it's like the second century. Um, three times a day, pray the Lord's Prayer. That's, they, they list it right there. Just, just pray this prayer. Um, but, but this is what Jesus says. He invites them into something new, and Christians have been following this for, forever, but sometimes when you read it and you say it in communion or whatever at church, or sometimes uh, at, the, at the graveside when we're doing a, a service of committal, you, 
you lose track of it. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to focus on this prayer the rest of this month because I think it tells us a ton about how God wants to relate with us. And so what I want to invite you to do, uh, I've got it up here on the screen. Man, Josh, you're doing awesome back there. This is Josh's second time on slides, and he's doing amazing. So it was right there. Uh, I want to invite you, if you're home, uh, if you're here with us in the building, to just uh, pray this with me, read it aloud with me, and then we're going we're gonna to come back to it. So I'll just read that, that little verse 9 part. If you join in with me on Our Father in Heaven, and we won't pray like the prayer that we know. We're just going to read this up on the screen. Uh, this, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen? Amen. All right, so, so they, they would practice this prayer. Christians throughout history have prayed this prayer. Your great, great, great grandparents in the faith uh, uh, probably recited a prayer just like this in their own language. And so today we're just going to look at the very first line, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name or, or your name. Um, <clears throat> And I don't know about you, but when I pray this, I think of this as like the two. It's like, okay, well, God needs to know we're praying to him, so we better start by, by addressing, the, addressing the letter. Um, but it's interesting, because in uh, this first line, Jesus introduces kind of a, a paradox into how we might relate to God, because he says two things that, um, if we think about it long enough, actually seem um, opposed to each other, um, in conflict with each other a little bit. In, in verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, so we'll start uh, with, there's two things that, that are in our address here, and you can move on to the next one, Josh. You're, you're doing great. I'm skipping a little bit. Perfect. Uh, there are two words that Jesus wants us to call God by. Uh, he wants us to call him Father in heaven, which was new and, um, and kind of unique to Jesus in his culture. Um, a lot of parts in this prayer would have been very familiar to Jesus' disciples. Um, and, and calling God Father is in the Old Testament. It's something that wouldn't have been um, completely shocking. But most people, most Jewish people did not refer to God as Father. So this is something new to them in prayer. So Jesus starts, he says, um, I want you, if you're a heaven person, uh, to, to call God Father. And the, the word that Jesus uses in, in Aramaic, maybe you've heard that before, is Abba, Abba, Father. It's, it's, a, it's a, familiar, a familial tone. Like uh, sometimes Foster will call us mother and father, and it is not a normal tone for our family. Uh, Abba's, Abba's kind of like dad, right? It's, it's, that, it's a closeness um, in that relation. It's kind of interesting. It defines the relationship. So, so the question is, right, what does it mean? to call God Father. What does it mean? What is Jesus advocating for us? Well, I think it tells us something about how we should see ourselves when we're praying and how we should understand how God sees us in that moment. And, and just to put a not too fine a point on it, the simplest way is, you know, a father loves you and cares about you and knows you, Okay. And we just want to like, keep it really simple. When you're praying the Lord's Prayer, remember that the very first thing you're saying out loud and, and hopefully you're starting to believe in your own heart is that you have a God that loves you and cares about you like a perfect father. 
one that knows you. Uh, we have a God that wants more for us, just like if any of you have ever either been a kid or had kids, maybe you had an experience with, you know, we, we all have experiences with all kinds of different parents, but, but a, good, a good father, when I'm like at my best as a father, um, I want more for my kids than for like things to be easy in that exact moment, right? You want more for them, and God wants more for us. We have a father that wants the best for us, even if it's sometimes hard to get there. Um, we have a father, a God who wants us to live up to our potential, um, but also someone in our life that is not surprised by our failures and by our mistakes. Um, maybe you grew up thinking of God, or maybe you even had a father like this that was waiting for you to step out of line so that he could bring the hammer down. That's not uh, what the picture Jesus paints is. This is a God who's not surprised by us, by our failures, and that wants the best for us. He's not eager to, to punish us, but he does want us to live up to who we could be, right? Uh, the Gentiles, right, they pray like God must be convinced to care. Like, if I just say enough words, I can wake God up enough to where he'll, he'll fix the problem in my life to, like, hit the snooze button and get me to kind of, like, shut up again, right? Um, that's how the Gentiles uh, pray. Uh, and, and many of us today fall into that trap. God seems distant and uninterested. Maybe he's looking down on us from heaven and saying, again, again. Maybe we think of God as some distant watchmaker that couldn't possibly be concerned with what's going on in our lives. But if God is Father, it means God is close by. It means he loves us intimately. He's right here listening and caring for us. Jesus invites us to call God Father. But uh, here is where sort of the, the other side of that, maybe the paradox, the challenge comes in. Um, because Jesus always also invites us uh, to pray that God's name be hallowed. Uh, Jesus uh, says, not only is God your father, he's, he's hallowed. Does, um, if I was in confirmation class, we would spend a lot of time going around it. What do you guys think hallowed means? I just think it's the weirdest word. Um, like the closest thing that comes to my mind is like Halloween, but uh, it is related, but not really. Um, <clears throat> you know, the question is what, is, what does Jesus mean? Why would he ask us to call God hallowed? And maybe you know, hallowed is another way of saying, anybody? Holy! God wants us to call him holy. And I don't know about you, but for me, most of my life growing up, um, the word holy is just a synonym for good, right? God is holy, he's good, he's better, perfect, or whatever. Um, but it, it's actually a little different than that. Um, we usually think of holy, right, as meaning good or perfect or nice. Like, God is holy means he's, like, special, um, God is holy, I'm not like God, God is good, I'm, I'm sinful, which is true, right? But that's not really what, what holy means. Holy just means separate, it means distinct. So if a father is, is close by and connected and loving and caring for us, holy means different, separate, uh, set aside for, for something else, um, for a, a specific purpose, uh, uh, one of my wife's favorite jokes um, in her house growing up is that her, um, for a long time, <laughs> I didn't ask her if I could share this story, <laughs> uh, and her dad watches this sometimes, um, for a long time in the Drugsma house, um, butter knives were the main screwdrivers, okay, that's, you know, if you want to know how handy my father-in-law is, like, that's, that's the, the screwdriver, where, where in um, other homes you might think, you know, a butter knife is, is holy, it's set apart for a particular use, and it 
ought not be shoved into screws uh, in, in basements. Um, it's holy. Holy means uh, that we believe that God is, is different. And this uh, may seem obvious to us, I hope it does, but I don't know that we always live like this is true. I think it's really important where people outside the church or people that don't know God often, you know, maybe we struggle with thinking that God could really care about us. Sometimes I think inside the church, we struggle with the idea that God is not like us. Uh, I think it's really important because often church people like the Pharisees in, in Jesus' day, uh, when we think about God, when we read this book, um, we read it through our, our natural bias. And our natural bias is to assume that God thinks like me because I'm right most of the time, of course. Uh, and so when I read the Bible, I imagine myself at my best, and I think that's kind of what God is like. I think most people are tempted to make God in their own image, to read God's word as a way of confirming what we already think, to listen to God's voice as a way of confirming whatever it is we already believe to be true. Um, growing up uh, in, in Colorado, my favorite bumper sticker growing up, it's, uh, it's the Front Range, the Rocky Mountains, and, and it, you see the mountains on the bumper sticker, and, and the top is orange, and the bottom is blue, so the mountains are blue, and, and it just looks just like a sunset in, in Colorado Springs where I grew up. And the bumper sticker says, if God's not a Broncos fan, why are the sunsets blue and orange, right? Uh, that's uh, often how we, see, how we see God. It's much easier to see the way others do this, and we're blind to, uh, to it in ourselves. But isn't it interesting? In my very short life and in myself, um, maybe you've seen this hard, and uh, if you've encountered people that are hard and unmoving or critical, they tend to imagine a God who's hard, unmoving, and critical. People uh, who are black and white thinkers think of God as someone who never compromises. People with no boundaries, <laughs> they imagine a God who doesn't care what we do, who ignores sin. We make God in our image, but Jesus wants us to make sure that every time we sit down to pray, Every time heaven people pray, we remember that God is not like me. He's holy. He's hallowed. Because if uh, God and Scripture are constantly confirming the things that we already believe to be true, if, if our theology, our worldview, our politics, our ideas about the way things should be are, are constantly confirmed by Scripture, if the way we look at the world, every time we open a Bible we say, Yes, I'm so glad I know the truth. There are only two possibilities for us. If what we think always lines up with Scripture, there are only two possibilities. One is you're the first person ever to figure it all out, right? Praise God, right? Uh, you, you know, my gut instincts, my values, they line up exactly one-to-one -one with the holy God of the universe, if you're never uh, convicted, if you're never challenged, if you never read something and say, I disagree with that, then, then either everything you think and believe and say lines up with exactly who God is. In fact, if that's the case, you might, I don't want to send anybody down a, a scary road, but you might actually be God if that's true, right? That's one possibility. But of course, the other possibility is this, and I don't know about you guys, but this is the one that's more likely for me when I find myself so confirmed and sure all the time, is that perhaps you've made God in your own image, 
and you're no longer praying to the God of the universe. You're no longer reading God's word, but you're, you're praying to yourself. Because the truth is, the closer you get to God, the more clear it should become that we're different from him, right? The more clear it should become how holy and separate he is. So, so if actors, if spiritual people, they pray for the likes, assuming they're already close to God, and the ignorant, the non-religious, you know, they pray assuming that God doesn't want to hear them, that God doesn't care about them, that God doesn't love them. The question is, of course, how do we pray? Do we pray like God is our Father? Do we pray like he's different? And I want to encourage you, invite you, and I've been processing this because I know at different times of my life, um, even different times of the day, I don't always pray like this is true. I want to invite you to ask, you know, do you, do you pray like God hears you? Like he actually cares? Do you pray like he loves you? Like he sees you as his child? And do you pray like he's holy, like he's different, like he's surprising? Because, because of Jesus, we're invited into more than a, than a relationship with God. We're invited to call the holy, separate, other, different, challenging, surprising, bigger than any box we can imagine, God of the universe, we're invited to call that holy God Father. And every time we pray this prayer, we're reminded what it means to relate to a holy Father. And, and no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter how uh, far away maybe you've wandered in your own life, no matter how much it seems impossible that God might care to hear from you, or no matter how long you've lived your life convinced that you more or less had it all figured out, we're all invited uh, to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as death and resurrection and to be made new as his son or daughter. And so I want to invite you uh, to, to pray with me uh, this, this uh, simple prayer that we would admit our shortcomings, our need for God, our differentness, our other, our separateness from a holy God, that we would put our faith that Jesus himself, God in flesh, walked the earth, lived and died and rose on our behalf, and that we would ask God to make us new, not into who we think we ought to be, but into his son's and daughters that he loves. Would you, pray, would you pray with me? Lord, we often pray uh, like you're not listening. Sometimes our relationship with you isn't marked by much calling at all. But even in those moments, we know that you are Father. Lord, no matter how hard we try to do it right, uh, we'll never live up to, um, to any real standard, Lord. So we confess our need, we confess our failure, we confess our sin. Lord, we believe that you sent your Son to die and rise on our behalf, that you revealed yourself to us in him. And because of his sacrifice, Lord, we, we believe that we can be forgiven and made new. And so, Lord, we ask that you do that. By the power of your Holy Spirit, make us new. 
in your name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I don't know where you've been, where you've come from, but if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, it means that for the first time you've asked God to work in your life and transform you, that for the first time you've confessed your sins, your shortcomings, and your great need for God, and he hasn't uh, smacked you down with a hammer uh, for, for coming forward. Instead, he said, welcome home, son or daughter. So if that's you, I want to invite you to, to reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you more about it. If, if you're like me, and maybe you need to be reminded of your sin and your need and that true relationship with your God and Father, um, I hope that you did that today as well. Um, at this time, I'd like to invite our worship team to come forward. Let's uh, conclude our service praising the God who lives, the God who's Father, and the God who is so fortunately different from me. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.